Do you want the church to grow? And specifically, we're talking here about numerical growth. Would you like to see more people? I hope that every one of us would agree about that. I think we could have unanimous agreement. Yes, we would like to see the church grow. All right, now, since that's a unanimous desire of all of us, then the question is, how can we make it so? How can we get there? Well, the suggestion that we're going to offer in our lesson this morning, if we want to know some keys to numerical growth, bringing in more people. Now, we understand there are other kinds of growth that you might consider. For instance, there's spiritual growth, which is very important. We, want to, we think about things that make people stronger spiritually. That's certainly uh, very important. But this morning, we're focusing on the idea of numerical growth, more people, more bodies in the pews. How, how do you make that happen? Well, our approach is going to be to look to the early church in the pages of the book of Acts specifically. Because in the book of Acts, we see the church growing rapidly. In the reading that Jacob read for us just a few moments ago, the very first day that church began, on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, there were 3,000 people. Verse 41 says there were about 3,000 souls. But it, and so that was a large congregation immediately. But it didn't stop there. In verse 47, it says the Lord added to the church daily. In chapter 4, verse 4, it says the number of men was about 5,000. In chapter 5, verse 14, it says the more were added to the Lord. Chapter 6, verse 1, the number of the disciples multiplied. And the same expression is used again just a few verses later. Chapter 6, verse 7, the number of the disciples was multiplied. In chapter 9, verse 31, the churches were multiplied. In chapter 11, verse 24, much people was added to the Lord. Chapter 16, verse 5, the churches increased in number daily. And so you just see a lot of growth. Specifically, you see a lot of numerical growth in the church there in the, recorded in the pages of the book of Acts. I, I did a little adding up, and this is, this is obviously just a gross estimation of the kind of numbers that we're talking about there. But if you start out, with 3,000, we know that number, literally. And then in chapter 4, verse 4, it says the number of men was about 5,000. A lot of commentators think when it says the number of men was 5,000, that if you count the women and the children and others, that the, that the congregation could have uh, uh, amounted to well over 10,000 people. Uh, so let's take that number, 10,000. And then when it says the more were added to the church in, the, in uh, uh, verse 14 to chapter 5, I'm going to say make that 11,000. We're up to 11,000. And then the number of the disciples was multiplied. If they were 11,000 and they were multiplied, I'm going to use a multiplier too. <laughs> Give us the multiplier. But if it's multiplied, you think maybe double. So I'm going to go to 22,000 at that point. And then it says again, the number was multiplied. I'm going to multiply by two. You see how gross this estimation is. But if it's a multiplication, I'm going to say at least double, 44,000. And then when it says in chapter 9, verse 31, the churches were multiplied. Well, if you had over 40,000 and you multiply that again, I would say maybe 80,000. Of course, now we've gone beyond the city of Jerusalem. And then chapter 11, much people added, much people added to 80,000, maybe 100,000. And then the churches increased in number daily, 150,000. Well, you know that I'm just making gross estimations here. But it wouldn't be hard, I think. It wouldn't be hard to guess that the number of Christians in the, in the first 16 chapters of the book of Acts, that the number of Christians had reached well over 100,000. 
uh, or more. The church was, our point is simple, the church was growing rapidly. Now, that's what we want to see, right? We said we have a unanimous agreement. We'd like to see the numbers increase. How do we get there? I want to suggest to you we do the same thing they did. That if we follow the pattern that they set there in the book of Acts, that we could see growth as well. And that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to go back to each one of these verses, and we're going to see what's mentioned in the immediate context of those verses that resulted in that kind of growth in the church of Acts. That'll be our study this morning. Thanks for being here. Before we get to those verses, I just want to add a word of welcome to what Yancey's already mentioned and also to repeat uh, his suggestion that if you have questions, please ask them. We're very open to that. We won't be offended if you say, I don't understand that, or we won't even be offended if you say, I don't agree with that. Just uh, ask us. We'd be glad to sit down and study with you. We're trying hard to follow the Bible. We could be wrong. You might be able to correct us. If so, we'd be very grateful for that. On the other hand, we might be able to show something from the Scriptures that you haven't understood in the past that would help us come to a common uh, agreement and a unity concerning the things that God teaches. That's what we're interested in. Let us know how we can help. Thanks for being here, especially our visitors. All right, let's go back. Let's back up. Let's see what was in the context of all these verses in Acts that suggested that the church was growing. Well, in chapter 2, verse 41, it started out with 3,000 people. That's a big day. You've got to agree. Uh, that same day, they were added to them about 3,000 souls. Can you imagine a church meeting uh, that resulted in a single response of 3,000 people on the same day that came to the Lord? What was in that context that resulted in that overwhelming response? Well, in those verses that Jacob just read, remember Peter and the other apostles had been preaching there uh, on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem. And Peter concluded his sermon by saying, God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. And with many other words, he did, did he testify saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. I especially want you to notice the first part of this. You see what Peter said to those people? He said, you did this. You have crucified the Son of God. You are guilty. You are responsible. Oh, Peter, that's got to be a big mistake, right? That's got to be a huge mistake for you to name names, to specify sin. People are going to be turned off if you come at them that way. Peter, you need to back up now. Don't be so out there. Don't be so much in their face. Don't be accusing. Don't be convicting and condemning. Because if you speak in those kind of terms, people won't respond favorably at all. You need to make it softer, easier to listen to. You need to say things that make people feel good about themselves. That's not what Peter did. Certainly not what he was doing. And, of course, we believe him to be an inspired man of God in this. Sort of those people who think that the key to growing success is that you've got to speak pleasant words to not name sin or make people feel bad about their spiritual condition. I'll tell you, they're wrong. When people are in sin, they need to be alerted to the danger of their spiritual condition. And real growth, the kind that God wants, comes from really addressing the problem of sin. That's what happened here, right from the get-go. And we should certainly imitate that. And so... If we do that, we're going to be different from most people in the religious world. I actually think we're going to be different even from a number of our own brethren who are backing away from a bold proclamation of the truth of God. But this is their path. This was the pattern of the New Testament church, and I believe that needs to be our pattern as well. The next verse in the book of Acts that talks about how quickly the 
church was growing, and still in that chapter 2, at verse 47, they were being added to daily. The church was added to every day. Now, what's in the context that might suggest that they were doing so well that every day more were being added to their number? Well, in that immediate context, in verse 42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Something was getting the attention of people in Jerusalem. And they were paying attention to what was going on. What was it? It was the fact that these Christians were, were living right. They were setting a good example. They were showing others something worth noticing. Have you ever been around some? I know you have. We've had some experiences with folks right here in our own congregation who have lost weight, maybe lost a lot of weight. You know, when people start losing weight, others may not notice that for a few days, maybe a few weeks, but after some time, someone says, hey, you've lost a good bit of weight, haven't you? Hey, man, you're really losing weight. What are you doing? And, and, you know, usually those of us who need to lose weight are asking the people who are losing weight, what are you doing? How are you doing that? That's my point here about spirituality and bringing people to an interest in spiritual things. We need to consistently, in other words, it's not going to happen in a day or two or a week, but as people are consistently observing a godly example in us, then others will start to take notice of, hey, what are you doing? How are you getting there? Uh, I, I like what I see in your life spiritually. How could I have that same thing in my life? That's what was going on with the Christians in Jerusalem. As they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, bringing bread, then the church, they were adding to their numbers every day. I believe that's what we really need. We've pointed out before, but it is so obviously true that we can't, we can't overemphasize it. If we've got Christians among our own number, who are not living right, who are not setting a good example. And the people out there in the world know that. That's one of the most damaging things that can happen to us here. If you're not setting a good example, if you're not living a true spiritual life, if you're not being faithful to the Lord, and the people of the world know that about you, then that's their impression of this church. And we're not going to do well if we don't have Christians setting good examples out in the community around here. In Jerusalem... They were doing well consistently, and the church was growing every day. We can imitate that. That's something we need to be doing. The next verse in this lineup that of, in the book of Acts that talks about the rapid growth of the church, the number of men was about 5,000. As I said, some, many commentators think that it means literally the men were 5,000, maybe that many or more women. So we may be over 10,000 already at this point. And this is just within uh, a few days or weeks of the church beginning in chapter 2. How did they get there? What's in this context? When chapter 2, or excuse me, in chapter 4, verse 2, in the context of this statement about their rapid growth, verse 2 says, they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection of the dead. The resurrection of the dead. Well, first of all, the resurrection of Jesus himself. That was a key element of New Testament teaching and preaching. If you read through the messages that were delivered as, as the various disciples went about evangelizing the world, a key part of their preaching was about the resurrection of Jesus and the proof that it had actually taken place. That's so important. And obviously we need to be well-versed in making the case for the resurrected Savior. If Jesus was resurrected from the dead, 
then everything else in the Bible is established as true. Take away the resurrection of Jesus and nothing else in the Bible matters at all. That's just how important that truth is. If, if he was resurrected, then we have reason to believe everything that the Bible teaches. If he wasn't resurrected, then nothing else the Bible teaches matters even in the slightest. We've got to be able to prove that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. As they went about preaching the gospel of Christ in the first century, they really emphasized that. But notice, it wasn't just that they preached that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. I believe this verse is saying that they preached that through Jesus, we can experience resurrection from the dead. Through Jesus, by having our sins forgiven, by having come into a covenant relationship with God, we have the hope of a resurrected body and an eternity in heaven. And so they were proclaiming that message, and we need to do that as well. So many religious groups these days are emphasizing the here and now. Uh, they're, talk, they're preaching what we often refer to as the health and wealth gospel. Uh, that if you will serve the Lord, He wants you to be rich, and He wants you to have good health. And if you'll serve Him, you'll have these things. There are some very popular teachers on the, on the television and radio who are proclaiming that health and wealth gospel. Joel Olstein, for instance, is so popular. People just love to hear him speak. And that's his promise. You're going to get rich, and you'll be well physically if you serve the Lord. Well, the problem with that, of course, is as we read the Bible, the, some of the most devoted and faithful servants of God through the ages have suffered horribly. And so it's not always true, is it, that God will bless you with health and wealth, but he will bless you, and you'll have the hope of a resurrection in the future. And that's the message we really need to be proclaiming. That will bring true seekers to the Lord, and we will grow if we do as they did. We keep on going through the book of Acts. By the time you get to chapter 5, verse 14, it says, The more were added to the Lord. Well, what was in the context of this statement that suggested it would provoke growth? Well, in chapter 5, verse 12, and there were just a couple of verses before it says that they were adding to the Lord, in verse 12, it says, By the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. Now here, of course, it's talking about miracles that were being performed. The inspired apostles and other first century Christians, for that matter, by the power of the Holy Spirit, were enabled to do miracles. There, there are people who today might say, Well, if we could work miracles like they could work miracles, maybe we would grow as fast as they were growing. Well, that's really not the point that I'm trying to make here, and I don't think that's even necessarily true. We know that the miracles of the first century were for the purposes of revealing and confirming God's truth. That purpose has been fulfilled. We have God's completed revelation to mankind, and it has been completely verified and confirmed to us. We don't need miracles anymore, but we still need to be going out and fulfilling the great commission that Jesus taught Mark, uh, Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Notice what Jesus said in Matthew's account of the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. I believe that promise still stands. Not that he'll be with us in the performing of miracles. We believe miracles have ended, as the Bible says they would. But he promises to be with us and if he is with us, and if we are proclaiming the power of God, not by working miracles like they were, but if we are proclaiming the power of God, the authority and strength of his 
truth, then he will be with us and we will grow too. We need to be following that pattern, not specifically in the performing of miracles, which we can't do, but in proclaiming the power of God. God, if we work his work, he will be with us. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians 4, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And the Lord will be with us in our work as well. Chapter 6, verse 1, says the number of the disciples multiplied. Now, what is there in the context? Now, they're, they're multiplying. Multiplying just mean, doesn't just mean adding one here, one there. Seldom and randomly one additional person showed up. No, I, you wouldn't use the word multiplied if they were just picking up one or two once in a while. It says the number of the disciples was multiplied. What's in the context of that statement that might suggest why they were multiplying their numbers? Well, if you back up to the previous chapter, if, if you back up to the verse at the end of chapter 5 that leads to this statement in chapter 6, notice daily in the temple in every house they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Well, again, more growth. Almost consistently, on every day, they were growing. A key element in that was the daily teaching that took place. Daily in the temple. Well, in the temple, that might have been at the hands of the apostles. We might very distinctly be talking about the, the, the designated teachers were teaching daily in the temple. But wait a minute. It also says in every house. They cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. How many Christians are there at Jerusalem now? We said there's at least 5,000, maybe 10,000 or more. You've got 12 apostles. Can 12 apostles go to every house that houses perhaps as many as 10,000 or more Christians? No. And so this part, daily in the temple, that might be the apostles who were teaching, the designated teachers, if you will. But when it says that also in every house they cease not to teach and preach Jesus that means that the individual Christians were busy teaching too, doesn't it? It's got to be. It has to be. Now, we want to grow. We said we could get unanimous agreement. We want to see the numbers increase. How are we going to get there? Well, we cannot expect to see the kind of significant growth that the early church had unless we do the same thing. And so every one of us, not just the preacher, not just the elders, not just a handful of some strong Christians need to be teaching, we all need to be teaching. And I would simply ask the question, who are you teaching from house to house? We want growth. But if we're going to get there, then we all have to work at teaching others the truth about God. This is really key right here. Daily teaching on the part of all the Christians brought about that great growth in the church at Jerusalem. Still in chapter 6, at verse 7, it says again, same expression, the number of the disciples was multiplied again. They're multiplying their numbers. What's in this context that would suggest why they were growing? Well, notice in chapter 6, there was a problem that came up. Starting in verse 1, it says the widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It's not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men, and the saying pleased the whole multitude. In other words, there were some widows, and their physical needs of these widows were not being met. The apostle said, well, we've we got our plate full. We're preaching the word, and it doesn't make sense for us to leave the preaching the word, take care of tables, but that, the taking care of these widows' needs is important. Here's what we say. 
appoint some men that can be put into this work. And so the first thing that I would suggest to you is that the apostles demonstrated great leadership in this. They had important things that they had to continue to attend to themselves, but this problem couldn't be neglected. And so they realized that. And so they demonstrated great leadership in suggesting, here's how we can approach it, choose seven men who can be appointed over this work. And so I think they did a very good job of addressing the issue. Good leaders, but notice cooperative members too. The saying pleased the whole multitude, and they proceeded to do what the leaders had told them should be done, and they worked with them. So the leaders understood their work, and the members cooperated. Uh, i got to tell you, that will still work today, too. We need good leadership. We need to pray for our elders, support them, and help them in the important work they have to do leading the local congregation. We need good leaders. And so uh, we need to thank God for the leaders we have. We need to pray for their strength and wisdom. We need to help them be better yet. Get better and better. The better they are, the better we are. We need good leadership. But we've got to be cooperative members, too. If, if the leaders are not being followed, if their, if their guidance and instruction and help directed toward us is not uh, consistently adhered to, then the, we've got a big breakdown. Good leaders need cooperative members. That's where we can really help in this matter. We need to cooperate with what the elders are telling us to do, the leaders, leadership and guidance that they are uh, applying in our direction. We need to follow that. It, it worked in Jerusalem. The numbers of the disciples were multiplied. It will work here too. We need to concentrate on that. We can do better in that. I think we can do better. And God will bless us as we work to do better in that. All right. Quickly, moving through this list in Acts. Church growing rapidly. Lots of people. The numbers are increasing. Now, remember, we're, we're emphasizing the numbers this morning. And numerical growth clearly is not the only kind of growth. Spiritual growth is very important. But we're just emphasizing how they brought in more people. All right? Well, in chapter 9, at verse 31, it says the churches were multiplied. What do we see in that context that suggests the growing? Now we've moved beyond Jerusalem. Everything we've set up to this point was in Jerusalem. Now we've gone beyond Jerusalem, and the churches are multiplied. Why? Well, it says in chapter 9, verse 31, Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, and were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. Here, the thing that brought about peace was, the, uh, brought about growth, rather, was the peace that they enjoyed. They'd been persecuted badly up to this point in time. It seems that the persecution let down and they weren't facing such strong persecution immediately. And they used that peaceful period in order to affect growth. I've heard people say that the church only grows in adversity. That maybe the reason we're not growing in our day as much as they grew back then is because we're not being persecuted like they were. The church grows under adversity and persecution. That's true. I mean, that's certainly true. But the church also grows in times of peace as well. And we see an example of that here. Uh, so use, use the chance. Hey, you've got, you got a period of peace? Use it to grow. We've been blessed with tremendous personal and collective liberty in the place and time where we live. Maybe more so than anybody ever before us has ever experienced. We are not under any level of persecution or oppression. We can come together freely, meet, assemble, talk about our faith, share it with others, use that peace 
to reach out. Peace is a great chance for growing. A time of peace like we have is a great time for growing. Use it. Although this context is not addressing it, I would also suggest we could take that idea of peace and apply it internally, too. One of the things that will make us grow is if we maintain peace on the local congregational level, and we need to make that a priority and work at that as well. Quickly, as we move on, chapter 11, much people was added to the Lord. In chapter 11, what we see is that they got busy exhorting one another. Uh, In the immediate context, chapter 11, verse 22, they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch, who when he came and had seen the grace of God was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. One of the things that they did is that they saw a need to continually strengthen those who were already Christians. We've emphasized quite a bit in our lesson this morning what they were emphasizing, and that was reaching out to the lost, finding people and converting them to Christ, bringing them into the fold. They definitely did that, but they did not neglect to exhort and strengthen those who were already Christians. And we need to do that as well. Uh, That needs to be a very important emphasis of what we do. Strengthen those who are Christians already. They did that. It helped them in their growing, and much people was added to the Lord. And then finally, chapter 16, verse 5, the churches increased in number daily. Well... Again, that's what we want, right? We want to see that. We want to see the church growing, even on a daily basis. Would it be amazing? Would it be amazing to you if you came to church on a Sunday morning and in the bulletin it reported that there had been baptisms? In fact, in the last week, there had been at least one baptism every day for the last seven days. Would you be shocked by that? You'd be shocked, wouldn't you? Wouldn't that be amazing? Daily increases... That's what was happening back there in the book of Acts. Amazing. Really incredible. What's in the context of chapter 16, verse 5, that might suggest what led to that? Well, it says in that very verse, it says, As they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees for to keep that were ordained of the apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem. And so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. Now, what were those decrees to keep that's mentioned there? Well, if you back up in chapter uh, 15, verse 28, 15-28, the decrees that came from, from the apostles and elders in the city of Jerusalem were these. It seemed good to the Holy Ghost to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from meats offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from fornication, from which if you keep yourselves, you shall do well, fare ye well." That's what happened there in Jerusalem, Acts 15. That's the message that was being proclaimed. That's what's under reference here when it says they delivered those decrees that came from the elders and apostles of Jerusalem. I want to generalize the point here. They were telling them, there's some stuff you've got to do, and there's some things you've got to keep yourself away from. There's some positive work you need to be involved in, and there's some immorality that you need to avoid, and they specified it. Now, basically what they were doing was they were dealing with some do's and do nots. Do this, don't do that, was their message. A lot of people don't like to hear that too much anymore. You know, we don't want to hear about immorality. We don't want to hear condemnations of sin. We want to keep the message positive. In fact, I know some preachers, even among churches of Christ, who have identified themselves that they intend to only emphasize positive things. 
Well, I would say good for you, except for the fact the Bible says that's not good. That's not good for you to do that, preachers. That's not good for you to do Christians. We can't just emphasize the positive. We have to deal with the negative. We have to tell people, don't do that. The Bible says you can't do that and be pleasing to God. We have to have strong teaching on negatives as well as positives. And so they did that. They told those people in the first century, here's some things you can't do if you want to be right with God. And even in the process of dealing with those negatives, the church increased in number daily. We need that. We have to. Now, again, we're not, we're not denying that we need to stress the positive blessings of God as well, certainly. But we've got to deal with those negatives. And so there's the list in the book of Acts. The church was growing and growing rapidly, numerically growing rapidly. And I think that we can gain a lot of insights as to what was causing that to happen. Someone says, well, they may have been growing rapidly, but they weren't growing any rapid, more rapidly than the megachurches of our day. Why are we not growing and the megachurches are? I've mentioned in passing Joel Olstein, uh, a minute ago. Joel Olstein's church is in the thousands. Uh, he's really bringing in the numbers, uh, and, and, and we're not. And so how do we account for that if we would follow the biblical pattern, we'd grow? When the fact of the matter is, if we try to do this, we're not seeing the same kind of growth that some of these megachurches are seeing in our day. I believe the answer to that is, by whose standard are you going to measure this? By whose standard are you going to measure the growth? Yeah, we could do things that would... Uh, we, we could fill this building up next Sunday morning. We could fill this building up to overflowing next Sunday morning. I, I could suggest some simple things we could do, and we could have this place packed to the, to the rafters. Someone said, well, what would that be? Let me, let me suggest this. If you advertised that you were going to tape a $20 bill under every seat, and if you came next Sunday morning, you could have the $20 bill under your seat, make it a $100 bill. I'm telling you, we could get the place full. We could get it full to overflowing. Is that what we want to do? No. We want to follow God's pattern for growth. I believe if we'll faithfully and consistently apply that, we can see the growth. We can imitate the example of those early Christians. Ultimately, it's our job to plant the seed. God will supply the growth. We need to faithfully be planting that seed. Thanks for your good attention to what we had to say this morning. We're going to end with a song of invitation. If you're subject to that invitation, we beg you to seriously consider responding to the Lord. If you're not a Christian yet, we hope you'll become one. That simple gospel plan of salvation is hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized for the remission of sins. We'd be glad to assist you in your obedience. We'd be glad to study with you more. Say a word and we'll help you. If you're a Christian already, but you've fallen away, we beg you to come back in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help, let us know while we stand and sing this song. Praise God, Lord.